Welcome to another version of Ahead on Healthcare. Today, we have two of our security experts on Mervyn Chapman, one of Ahead's principal security strategists, and Nate Stewart, Ahead security leader in the South region. And we'll be talking about one of the topics that's near and dear to both of their hearts, hacking and healthcare. And we thought this would be a juicy topic because um, I was reading in health tech that fewer but larger healthcare data breaches were reported in 2023 with a lot of the breaches really targeting third parties. And the interesting thing is, I think they had like about 300 some odd data breaches that were reported in this one report to the federal government. But it was a almost like a 15% decline if you look at the same period from last year. However, when you look at the number of, say, individuals impacted per breach, it's like something like 130,000 people or patients in this case. And that's significant regardless. But the, the third party bit kind of is interesting. And we want to talk about that a little bit, but it seems like that third party business associate is on the rise and kind of recent, I guess, data that I looked at, it's, these are being more and more kind of responsible for the breaches that we're seeing. But yet in all, I think there, there are a lot of topics I think that'll be kind of juicy to talk about with both Nate and Irvin. So let, let's jump in. I think that decrease I talked about is good guys, but what's happening from your perspective in healthcare and is cyber still an issue that is significant facing healthcare today? I would be interested in looking at the numbers to see, because I, I immediately thought of one of two things. Hospitals consider uh, continue to consolidate. So as the bigger players out there gobble up smaller players, then the incidents themselves are going to drop in quantity just because they're aiming at one big target. But I think the thing that made me think that that might be what's happening is that the number of users impacted has gone up. You know, so instead of hitting an individual hospital, now you're hitting a network. So I think uh, it's one of those statistics that can uh, make you feel good about what's happening or can sometimes kind of be uh, an indicator of what's happening in the market. Yeah, I think that what we see as well is the, the consolidation of not only healthcare entities, but the consolidation mm-hmm. of third parties. I've always considered the business associates sort of the soft underbelly of the healthcare information space. You've got all of these third-party companies, maybe with security programs that are not as robust, and they're consolidating data from organizations across the country or across the world. As Nate mentioned, when there's a breach, you now expose data from multiple organizations. Take a look at 23andMe, so maybe not your typical healthcare organization. They didn't actually suffer a breach. They, The attackers used information from several other breaches and people were not changing their passwords. So they were able to aggregate all of this data and, and basically credential stuff of uh, 23andMe to gather information from them. So, you know, something we can discuss as well, right? So user hygiene, all of these things, you know, it's just making it worse. We're consolidating all of this data and the control, the level of uh, security controls is not going up appropriately. So it's leaving all of this information up for grabs, so to speak. Do you guys also think and see that given, you know, COVID caused a lot of things to happen from 
kind of exploding telemedicine into making consumers feel comfortable of going elsewhere where for kind of their healthcare almost. Now you have almost non-traditional players like Walmarts and Kroger providing health services. So you got all this patient data that's out there, right? So when I'm thinking about cybersecurity threats, it's not just on kind of the hospitals, it's also managing and being cognizant of patient data. It's also impacting these kind of non-traditional players, in theory, if they haven't bolstered their security presence, that patient data is at risk as well. Absolutely. So one of the things, as you talked about, so did these non-traditional providers, right? To make things easier for their customers, they're also linking to some of the more traditional partners. Yeah. If you, for example, you, you have a COVID test, you go to your Piedmont urgent care or some urgent care clinic, and they share the information with the, the Walmart or some pharmacy. Then you have maybe some other aftercare with a, even a third, third party, uh, no pun intended. All of that information is linked. So you just pick the weakest link. If you don't change, you know, one of those providers doesn't enable, you know, multi-factor authentication, right? Which is, it's a good preventative uh, control for, for getting in. You get into one, you're now into all of them. And that business associate network, it just allows threats and threat actors to spread so far laterally that it's just something I don't think we've paid enough attention to in the field. When we talk about third parties, there's there's such a long list of contractors and things that are interacting inside of a hospital that affect their security posture. I look at Target. When Target got breached, it's the air conditioning contractor. There's all these holes that you intentionally create on the edges of your network to allow work to get done. And being able to manage those third parties to make sure that their security hygiene is the same as yours, is very challenging. It's very hard to enforce. You know, you may end up paying a little bit more for a, a more mature partner. And we know hospitals are operating on razor thin margins sometimes. And so it becomes very hard to kind of balance that. No, yeah, that's a good point, Nate. I guess one thing that comes up is given kind of the economics within healthcare and hospitals, how do they go about preventing these types of things from happening given the exposure we just talked about? Is there a, a path that we suggest they go down? The first thing, right, and I think Nate hit on it, is just understanding where your exposure is. You can't fix something unless you know what needs to be fixed. And, and even before you figure out what needs to be fixed, understand what your third party and your business associate environment looks like. Ask someone in a healthcare field, who are your third parties? Who are your business associates? And even though HIPAA requires you to list them, there really isn't a very good mapping of how data flows within and outside of an organization, especially in healthcare. Folks are, are rightly so focused on patient care, but understanding that taking care of a patient's data is almost as important as taking care of their kidneys or, or you know, some other part of their body. Until we get to that point, we're just going to continue to have these breaches. Yeah, I, I think there's also a tendency to get frozen with indecision. There's a few larger networks that we've talked to that are just kind of stuck with where do we get started. I think it's very important for a CISO to sit down and just pick a roadmap and just get started. You don't have to boil the ocean. Figuring out your entire GRC plan or identity governance or DLP those are big law projects and they're very expensive sometimes. I think the bigger picture is, hey, if you're a hospital, pick high trust or CISA or something 
that gives you a nice roadmap and a scoring card to put yourself up against, uh, you know, how am I doing in all of these areas and have someone help you dictate where you should get started and just get started. If you compare your security posture to like a cake, I know this is weird, but if you compare it to a cake, you cannot sit down in front of that cake and eat the whole thing at once. You got to take it a slice at a time. I, I, I think it's a good idea to just kind of assess like, where are we doing the worst? We can't fix every hole with one budget fiscal year. We've got to go tackle the biggest gaps that we have and just start knocking them out one at a time. I think this indecision thing that kind of happens when you sit down and say, hey, we have 40 fires we need to put out and all of them are critical, then you have to pick the biggest fire. You really do. It's interesting because uh, I wanted to pull on a thread that Mervyn, you, you mentioned about like data hygiene. And if you think about it, patient data is really at the crux of a lot of the anxiety that hospitals have about making a lot of decisions. So you would think that having, think about healthcare, a good data hygiene program would be almost table stakes. If you have that, then some of the other issues as it relates to security and some of the other things, regulatory and compliance wise, they all kind of fall into place. But is that what you guys are seeing, that there's just kind of a lack of that kind of good data hygiene that leads to kind of serving as a foundation for the security kind of foundational things that need to be in place. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, I think you're right. Healthcare is built on trust. When we go into the, an organization seeking care for our health, where kids are sick or we're sick, we have to put our trust in that organization. We put our trust in the doctor that they, that she or he will know what to do. And the organizations themselves are built to provide care. For care to be provided, data needs to be shared with various parts of the organization and with the third parties that are charged with providing services to, to support that care. That trust has been violated by these third parties, by, the ha by hackers, if we're gonna use that term. We need to understand that people are going after this data. Once that data has been monetized, so we have to be able to understand who do we want to share this data with, who are we actually sharing with, with, and how does that change over time? It's not a problem that we're going to fix overnight, but you have to start somewhere. That data hygiene, understanding what you're sharing, how it's being shared, is it being encrypted? All of those questions. There's a list of questions that we can go through to help you understand how that data is being shared and, and what the risks are to that data. But it's an exercise that you have to go through. And a lot of healthcare institution, institutions just simply haven't wrapped their minds around fully completing that exercise to understand where data flows and how it moves. I guess uh, on the heels of that, one question I have around ransomware, is, I mean, is that still, from a healthcare perspective, still a big deal? What, what are you guys seeing in terms of the impacts of ransomware uh, from a hospital slash healthcare perspective? We are seeing a huge amount of ransomware attacks. And, and frankly, it's just because it's the most profitable thing you can do in cyber hacking. Locking someone down and saying, hey, you owe me X amount of Bitcoin in order to unlock this is uh, the biggest way that a criminal can make money in 2023. You know, we just watched MGM and Caesars just get hit by this. And that's Las Vegas. That's where the money's at, just to be frank. These businesses, organizations run on data, right? And when that data is mm -hmm. not available, you can't make money. So it is, it's a way, it's a way to remove, right? If I was to physically hold somebody for ransom, right? It involves some level of risk to my person. 
right? I have to find a place to, to, to keep Nate locked away and then ask for a ransom. But with data, I can do that from across the world. It, you know, hands off. We, we know this, right? We've seen this happen over the last several years. But wherever there is data and in an, in an industry that is increasingly reliant upon data, such as healthcare, mm-hmm. it's going to continue to be a target for ransomware actors. Do you guys think education alone can stop the things that are happening from a cyber perspective. And I say that just because it, it seems like some of the bad actors with the likes of phishing and stuff like that, is that kind of, from your perspective, if we, if we educated more, it would kind of, it's the last mile type of thing. In so, short, no. <laughs> I, I, agree. Hate, I agree. I hate to I hate to be the pessimistic one, but our entire industry is centered around the fact that everyone is gonna click on everything all the time. I don't even like to sell phishing tests as a security practice anymore because we already know the outcome. Some people are gonna click on some stuff. I, I think that we have to assume the worst and prepare for it. You know, we we're we're gonna buy Proofpoint or Mimecast or any of the other products to kind of help protect our email. We're gonna go buy Okta or Azure AD or SailPoint to try and protect the identity. We're spending all of those things because we know people are gonna click on things. And and that to me is, you know, the best you can do to kind of try to prevent that shotgun blast into your workforce. Uh, Cause that's what it is. You know, if people are shooting out emails into the, our entire US economy just to see who clicks. And once I'm in, I'm in. What have we as an organization done to A, detect that there's been somebody let loose into our environment and B, how do we remediate that uh, and make sure that we can plug the hole? There's not going to be one answer for everything. Education will certainly help. I'll always be a proponent of education. Yes. But something will always go wrong, right? There's always somebody who decides I'm not going to follow this. I'm going to take my password to the bottom of my machine. I'm going to do this. I'm going to circumvent this control. And as mentioned before, healthcare is often based on speed and trust. We want information to flow, except when we don't want it to, right? So it's up it's up to us to design these systems, right? You'll hear a term, and we can talk about the term zero trust, right? Assuming bad intent, assuming a misled actor or a malicious actor within your within your uh, enterprise. We can talk about those things. At some point, we have to realize it's more than education. We have to assume something bad is going to happen, as as Nate mentioned, and then build the controls to be able to detect it and to mitigate it on the fly. So it's it's going to take a a very big change in the way that we think around deploying, uh, designing, and deploying these security controls. Now, that's that's interesting. I want to come back to Zero Trust in a minute. I wanted to get you, your guys' thoughts on the cloud because you think about healthcare, all other other industries, they've kind of you know embraced the cloud. There are some obviously industries that have moved quicker. Healthcare probably a little slower, folks, for some obvious reasons. But you, when you look at the cloud, right, there's obvious benefits in terms of reduced costs, and for healthcare, you know, increased accessibility from a patient data perspective. You can leverage economies of scale, even for some of the security aspects with, within cloud service providers. You can almost start to legitimize a better patient experience because of accessibility, mm-hmm. enable things like AI, and you know, and you think about things like telemedicine, right? That's you can completely enhance your presence using the cloud there. But obviously, there are also some downsides. And things like lack of expertise. And then one of the things we talked about, which is kind of a double-edged sword, access 
to data sharing or patient data. Yeah. So what, I mean, what do you guys think about the cloud and kind of the, the cyber implications for using the cloud? I think that, I think that from a cloud perspective, you're correct. I think healthcare has been slow to adopt cloud compared to the rest of the economy, but as it should be, I think that in the beginning stages of cloud, and we're talking maybe like we're moving workloads into the cloud compared to keeping them on-prem startups and people who lack that capital to be able to just go all out and put money into buying infrastructure, the cloud was a godsend. You know, you're able to kind of operationalize that half of your business. But I think what happens is, is while all of that's happening, the community as a whole is learning how to behave in the cloud. You know, we're learning that you can't treat Azure and AWS and GCP like you would a VMware, right? It's a whole different ballgame. And we have to wait for the IT community and the, the security community to learn the mechanics of how all of those platforms work. How do we offer a work from home employee access to hospital you know, resources that are housed in the cloud? I think that we've given it enough time to where you know, we've had people that are learning how to operate in the cloud. And I think we've had enough time for tools to catch up. And I think now what we're seeing is almost in some ways, hospitals being forced out into the cloud as well as ERM solutions are starting to become very cloud-based or at least hosted. We're starting to see a lot of Oracles and, you know, UKGs and, you know, all these right. other solutions are now being offered as SaaS, just plain old Office 365. I think that's kind of forcing the issue in some ways. But I think that, again, we're starting to see hospitals staff to cloud expectations, to, you know, who can do micro-segmentation in the cloud. Those resources are becoming more readily available. And I think it's making leadership in the hospitals start to feel a little more comfortable with it. But again, you have to make sure that you are treating your security posture in the cloud differently than you would your on-prem. It, it is a whole different exercise, making sure that you're safe out there. No, I, I, I hear you. I think one of the things that I've seen too is that actually two things. One, from an economies of scale perspective, if you look at some of the cloud service providers, they can definitely invest a ton more money and kind of bulletproofing their environment than kind of a traditional, you know, hospital, even health, health, healthcare system. So statistically, if you look at the information from the Amazons and, and Googles with breaches and the likes, it's, it's like extremely well managed and, you know, there aren't as many as you would think. So it's completely secure. However, my perspective at least is that it's a two-edged sword, meaning you can't just say it's all on the cloud service provider. There has to be good hygiene from a security perspective on the other side as well. The protections you have in place technically to education, to methods and processes, you can't just say, oh, <laughs> it's their fault. It has, it kind of has to be peanut buttered across to ensure yeah. that a better solution. I would say that the onus is more on the customer than it is on the provider. I, the, the reality is this, I'll give you a good real world example. It's very hard to hack into an Azure data center as a whole, right? I do have layers of security, both physically Absolutely. and logically right. to keep people out of their data centers. However, if you as a customer decide to give all of your admins global admin access to your tenants, then you have just made it to where if any one of those guys gets breached in the slightest way, they now have global admin access and you're done at that point. And that's not on Microsoft, right? That's not on AWS. That's on you to have appropriate 
compliance standards and processes to kind of prevent that stuff from happening. Right. Yeah, you, you'll always hear me say security is a process, right? And, and I know Nate, you've heard that you heard that ad nauseum. Oh yeah, it's a process. It's a process. Amazon can have all of the technical, administrative, and physical controls in the world, but if your processes are set up down to clean desk policy, where you may have just good, you know, information related to the access to your environment sitting on your desk or sitting, you know, employee taking home password. I, I did run into a case, right? Somebody taped their password to the bottom of their laptop. None <laughs> of these, you know, really great controls that Amazon puts into place will matter if you do something foolish like that. So it is a partnership, right? And we just, we have to understand that this is a partnership with our cloud partners. They provide security. There is a shared responsibility, uh, responsibility model that means that we have to do the same as healthcare organizations to be able to provide the security that our patients rely on. Absolutely correct. Well, there's, there's one thing that um, I said I was going to come back to, and I wanted to kind of tackle it from a couple different angles, but that's zero trust. You know, way back when, when was it Gardner or Forrester that coined zero trust? can't remember, but either... When that came out, I don't think a lot of folks understood kind of holistically what it meant, but I think there's probably, it's more ingrained into kind of the cybersecurity culture now. But given that, do folks you think grasp or have a good grasp of zero trust? And if they do, how do they get started along the path? I would agree with you that marketing teams have ruined zero trust as a term. I speak to a lot of different clients from the South and all of them roll your eyes when you initially start talking about zero trust because there will be a vendor that comes in says hey i got this zero trust product and you can't have zero trust unless you have my product and that's not what it is at all it, essentially in, in our world zero trust is essentially a term to to kind of encompass a roadmap that has no finish line it's essentially trust nothing and verify everything give everybody the least amount of access to your network as possible while still allowing them to do their jobs efficiently all of that requires a host of tools and processes and people that are all kind of aligning to do the right things to keep bad guys out and keep all of our information inside. It's, it's a process. I don't know if I would say that it, it never ends, right? It, it's like- You brushing... think there's a finish line? And please no, 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 tell no. me. No, 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 that, that's not right. Because I think when, when people say, oh, it never ends, right? So I might as well not start this journey. I feel you I, there. I'd say okay. it's, like, it's like brushing your teeth. You yeah. don't brush your teeth on Tuesday and then say, I'm done, right? Because I brushed <laughs> my teeth. Other words, you keep up with the threat, yeah. right? You're staying abreast of the threat. You, you understand that the threat environment changes. And the, the terms I like to use, right? You always assume that you have a malicious or a misled actor on your network. I think the stats say it's around 85% of hacking attempts or whatever come from inside the network, someone who has permission. Given that statistic, it makes perfect sense for you to then focus on assuming that somebody misled or malicious is already in your network and then yeah. building those controls inside to make sure that they don't get access to more than they should. What keeps people away from it is that it is difficult, right? You do need to map out your data processes. You need to map out that segmentation. And as business has been traditionally built on trust, we're used to everything being very wide open inside an organization. 
And we're finding out now that that is not the best way to do things. Right? Once yeah. somebody is in, they're in. Okay, let's make sure they only get access to these things or that our detection is in place to detect the misled or malicious actor inside the network. I agree. And remembering that five to 10 years from now, this conversation is going to be completely different. It will be. Uh, yep. you know, do you, do you remember be. when denial of service was like the big thing or you could slip past a firewall and notice? That yep. does not happen. It, all yep. of the, the entire industry changed and evolved. And now we have better routers and firewalls that could spot those types of things. And we've essentially not eliminated it. Let's not say that, but you know, we see that not being the way that people are getting into networks anymore. They're going to the edge. As we address that, something else is going to come up. Yep. It always does. The, the threats ch are changing, right? We understand that. The, the threat actors are smart people. In, you know, in, in the case of nation states, they're, they're well-paid and they're motivated in, in some ways. And so we just need to keep up with those, right? This, the protections that worked five years ago, be they physical, administrative, or technical, right? They're not going to work in five years. They're largely going to be ineffective. So we need to make sure that we're keeping up with the times and, and making sure that our controls adapt as needed. Yeah. How, how many of our customers said we will never go teleworker or allow our customers to work from home or our employees to work from home? And boom, COVID hits. Everything changes. Suddenly people are buying laptops left and right. Sassy solutions became huge. Just there's just things you can't see. They're gonna drive change. I remember healthcare, you know, providers said we'll never go to the cloud. Never yeah. will. Right. <laughs> and and here we are, right, having this conversation. I have a question for you guys, and this is kind of looking forward to kind of a, a position that companies take, healthcare otherwise, as it relates to cyber. I mean, for the longest, we've been in kind of a defensive position, right, with cyber. Do you think we'll evolve to a more of a uh, resilience perspective? What I mean by that is take for granted that you're going to get you're going to get hit just because where there's a will, there's a way. So it's more about capacity and resiliency and less about protection in kind of the next kind of wave of how folks think about kind of the next evolution of something like a zero trust. Do you think that's where we're going or do you think it's more hardening so you, nothing can get kind of penetrate the fortress? I think that there's both at the same time. I, I think that if you look at like the modern day XDR, MDR solutions, right? Those evolved essentially out of the scenario of someone's going to get in. We know it's going to happen. But we all used to see that number all the time that said, hey, bad actors can sit in our network for like 200 plus days without getting noticed. And they just laterally move around, trying to elevate their privileges, send out those little probing emails to people to see if they can move their way up the ladder and they never get caught. And now we have these MDR and XDR solutions that are almost like tripwires that you just lay across your network. So that if somebody steps on one, it sets off an alarm. Those things are evolving out of necessity and they're doing a pretty good job. The problem is, is that budgets are still finite. You can't go into some of these places and say, hey, we can address this problem and it's going to cost you $5 million and, you know, here we go. You know, that's just not how anything works. So it's just kind of making sure that our clients are able to, to adopt some of those things without breaking the bank. You know, how do we prioritize, to your point, hardening the outside so that we don't let people in and then assuming once they're in that we have cyber vaulting solutions and, you know, XDR, MDR solutions that are there to kind of protect us under the assumption that someone's getting in, no matter what you do. I think as the, as the business models lead, security is going to follow. Like, what does that mean? 
I remember, as, as I said before, healthcare entities saying, we'll never use the cloud. And now they are. People are moving to these, you know, EHR, EMR systems on the cloud and, and other sort of service providing entities uh, on the cloud. And security programs are moving to catch up. As we go forward, we, as Nate says, we're going to have to focus on both that, that resilience and the hardening of, of the infrastructure. But it's going to necessitate some changes in business model. If those changes are not acceptable, we're still going to have some of these problems. We want to be able to move with speed. We want to be able to share data between healthcare institutions. Our security programs are going to have to change and they're going to have to adapt. And what resilience means is going to have to change. If I'm seeing two healthcare providers and, and picking, you know, Piedmont and Wellstar, for example, and the two don't want to share with each other, customers are going to complain. And so maybe then those sites start sharing or those entities start sharing data through a third party. If that third party gets breached, then they get access to both. So understanding yeah. how the, the landscape is changing is going to change our definition of hardening. Do we harden one or the other? Do we harden both? Are we going to need to work on some sort of joint security agreements between the two? Right now, companies are reluctant to share information about their security programs. Will that change? Will the legal landscape change? I think it's an interesting topic to study for, for years to come on how the, the healthcare security environment will change based on our changing business models, based on you know how the economy changes, how healthcare entities do business. It's going to be an interesting conversation for years to come. I'll give you a funny, fun fact before we move yep. on. Uh, yep. I thought this was, don't, don't ever discount the old stuff getting dusted off and reused either. I have some friends that work for IBM and they had their largest year ever in LTO tapes. The biggest consumer is healthcare because you can buy all the air gap solutions you want. Physical media going into a bank vault somewhere is still the most secure medium out there. I guess last question for you guys. We talked about a lot of good stuff and kind of some aspects of how things are evolving. How do we get ahead help clients navigate all this, especially in healthcare? Is there things that we do to kind of get folks started? If someone's interested in zero trust or in bolstering their position, you know, how do we kind of work? Sure. With, with <clears throat> I can started. I think it's a couple of different things. For one, I, I think if I'm a CISO and I'm sitting in that chair and I get the amount of emails and I ask this question routinely, how many emails are you getting from vendors every day? And the average answer is over a hundred. So being able to navigate through all of those products alone is a nightmare. I think one of the things that we do really well here is that we kind of eliminate the noise. We have picked CISA and NIST 800-207. We have picked a lane for us as a practice. And we essentially try to build out solutions based on that structure. And it eliminates a lot of ambiguity. It eliminates a lot of, we can go this direction or that direction. We have a plan. And I think that to me has been a huge differentiator with the people that we've talked to. I think the other piece is, you know, hey, we get hit up by vendors as well. Come sell our product, tell everybody how great our product is. And we don't. We go with key partners, strategic partners that we know have a proven track record of success. And that's who we lead with. If we find a problem that needs a tool to address it, we know who we're going to go with because we know that they do a good job. And I think that 
building that relationship with some of our healthcare clients and saying, hey, I vouch for this logo, that this is someone that we know can address your problem, goes a long way. It keeps the whole dog and pony show from a thousand different vendors off the calendars of some of our biggest ESOs. I think that's one area. Mervin, I'd love to hear from you as well. So one of the things that attracted me to ahead was the focus on understanding and stating the problem, not mm -hmm. simply just studying and admiring, right? And dressing the problem, but sitting down, let's take all the vendors off the table. What do you need your security program to do? What are the risks? And we find that there are many CISOs and security directors who don't really understand. HIPAA is a little bit vague in terms of how it addresses these things. It uses the words reasonable and appropriate, I believe, seven times. What does that mean for your program? What does that mean for you? What is it that your program needs to accomplish? Who are the stakeholders? What do you need to show? Once you take away all of the vendors and sit down and figure that out, then you can come back in and sit down with someone like Nate and figure out what are the vendors I need? What are the service providers I need to make this vision true? That step, instead of just going to, you know, the nice, bright, shiny thing and always running after the next tool, that step is going to save you so much time and effort and, uh, and overall just money. Figure out what your program needs to do, then align with the partners that can help you achieve that vision, right? And then send to spam everyone else who doesn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it just makes it so much easier. Then you can explain, you can sit down and in three minutes explain what your security program is doing. It doesn't need to be complicated. There's going to be a complicated layer underneath, but at the very top, be able to explain what's going on. That is where AHEAD excels. We don't lead with tools. We talk about processes. We talk about the things that make the program run, understand the why, and then we can go figure out the what and the how and the how much and, and all of the, the, the other pieces. I, I really, really love our approach to helping uh, folks solve these types of security problems. And I know I'm going to be biased, of course, but the people that we have in the chairs here are amazing. We have a lot of people who are, are coming from the customer side. Mervin, I think you as well, you were a CISO at an organization and Nina over at our GRC practice was an ex-CISO. So we have, we have kidnapped these people to a head and they bring real world experience. There's something to be said. I've never been a CISO. I have never been on the end user side of the house. So there is just a, a sense of that day to day that happens with managing an entire organization's security posture that just inanely is only going to be something that someone who has done the job can understand. And we have a lot of those people in our ranks and I'm very proud of that fact. You know, uh, CISO stands for career is suddenly over in some, in some circles. <laughs> so the, no, we, we understand the pressure that goes with the job. We understand the pressure that comes with, with vendors, you know, wanting to sell, as you said, sort of bringing the term zero trust, zero trust this, right? We can do this for you. Finding that many people who sit in the chair sometimes don't really understand what the program needs to do, right? I know I'm restating it. That step, you know, that preparation is going to be very, very key for having a well-designed program. Well, it sounds like we can provide a lot of great assistance with both process, technology, and the experienced staff. Absolutely. I'll end with a quote from Muhammad Ali. Even the greatest was a once beginner. Don't be afraid to take that first step. I love that.
We also Thank quote you, Tyson a lot that says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. There's a lot of good exactly. boxers. Uh, there's a lot of good boxer quotes that uh, fit into cybersecurity as it turns out. Well, thank you, Nate. Thank you, Mervyn. Great conversation. We'll probably have you guys back maybe to talk about it, some other security topics. But for all our listeners, stay tuned for the next version of uh, Head on Healthcare. Thanks for having us, man. It was good. Thank you, Jay.